We realized several years back, we have to create trust in the data, concept of data governance, data custodians, single source of truth, but then that itself is not sufficient. You need to then also create trust in the machine learning models that are leveraging this data. Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter Hyde. Our broadcast today comes from our most recent MetaStrategy Digital Symposium. And the topic we covered was driving the enterprise artificial intelligence mindset. The panelists who spoke about this topic were Vishal Gupta, the Chief Information Technology Officer and Senior Vice President of Connected Technology at Lexmark, and Sumed Mehta, the Chief Information Officer of Putnam Investments. The gentleman who led the conversation was MetaStrategy Co-Head of Executive Networks, Research and Media, Stephen Norton. I hope you enjoy the conversation. All righty. While uh, Sumed and Vishal are, are joining us, I'll give a quick introduction to both. Um, please allow me to introduce Sumed Mehta. He's the Chief Information Officer and a member of the Operating Committee at Putnam Investments, a more than 80-year-old global money management firm based in Boston. He's run tech and digital at the organization for more than eight years and has overseen modernization of the firm's tech platform to take it into more of a cloud-first, data-driven, and agile organization, and really gotten to see a lot of the layers of that transformation over time, and looking forward to, to chatting with you more about that today, Samed. Thanks very much, Steve. That's a very nice introduction. Appreciate that. Of course. And also like to welcome to the stage Vishal Gupta. He's the Chief Technology Officer, Chief Information Officer, and SVP of Connected Technology at Lexmark, multi-billion dollar manufacturer of a wide range of imaging and IoT technologies and services, really focused on business customers around the globe. Um, he oversees corporate strategy, corporate IT, security, software, analytics, uh, to name just a few of the areas of his purview. Uh, I'm really interested in digging into some of the, the two hats that you wear with the business unit uh, perspective as well as IT. Welcome, Vishal. Thanks for having me, Stephen. And great to meet you, Sumed. Great meeting you as well, Vishal. So before we jump in, just a little bit of context. Um, as we've seen with a lot of companies, uh, yours included, AI is not necessarily the, the newest thing. You've all been working with it in some form or fashion for a long time, but the conversation has naturally exploded over the past year with ChatGPT and generative AI and really changed the conversation a bit in terms of how this fits into broader transformation strategies. And so I'm really interested in chatting with both of you who have had lots of experience leading various kinds of transformation in how things start to change now that we put this AI and generative AI wrapper around it. Uh, obviously, there are new opportunities, but also new risks um, and, and really a bigger enterprise conversation that's happening. And so would love to hear from both of you about how you're bringing people along on that journey and, and truly positioning IT as a leader and accelerator of business value in this, this era of AI. So Vishal, let's start with you. So as I mentioned a minute ago, your role encompasses both core IT as well as some BU oversight at Lexmark, putting you at a really interesting intersection where there's a ton of opportunity, but also maybe sometimes some friction. So how does that dual purview impact how you structure your team? And how do you think about that structure evolving as AI becomes increasingly critical to your operations? Yeah, no, it's a great question, Stephen. So, you know, when I joined a couple of years back, uh, you know, as you know, AI, as you mentioned, has been there for some time. And even back then, when I looked at the assets we had and what we needed to succeed, I felt there was a mismatch. And so, you know, I tried to kind of lay out a strategy to say, okay, you know, if you really think about AI, we'll need to think about the talent, the technology stack, and the alignment in terms of really going and harvesting those opportunities and identifying them. And, you know, we probably focused initially more on the talent side of things because, 
any of the AI data scientists, you know, obviously hard to find, expensive. And so we tied up with the uh, North Carolina State. Uh, we ended up scaling uh, by more than 10x our, our number of uh, folks who knew AI. And we kind of went from sort of a center of excellence kind of an approach where you put them all in one org to more of a center of influence approach where we try to train people because, you know, if I want to partner with finance to create the next set of AI use cases, those people really need to sit in finance and then come to a set of experts like us. And so we try to seed that knowledge throughout. And so our initial focus from an organizational perspective was more around creating the capability with the talent, seeding that capability in other parts of the organization and creating awareness around what the power of the possible is. I think what we've been doing perhaps in the last two years as that became more mature was to, you know, similar to what I think we have done in the cloud in the past to say, if your product or off service offering is not leveraging AI is going to be legacy. And so we try to create a sense of, um, I don't want to say paranoia, but a sense of incitement to action um, to, to really get people galvanized behind this journey and much more so not with Gen AI, right? And if you look at what is needed to do that, I think I got lucky by having a little bit of both parts of the organization because from an, you know, we created a team called Data Science Analytics which could create a lot of the machine learning models. We, we were able to you know, stand up. Typically you need some kind of a data lake or a data lake house kind of architecture. So you can really harvest the data structure and structured, semi-structured across all the different cloud properties and the on-prem properties you have. Drive a culture of really data collection because AI without the data is meaningless. And then I think the thing that we did from an organizational perspective was to really enable um, you know, for example, we have a graduation even tomorrow where our entire executive team is participating. So we try to, on the alignment aspect, drive a more participative culture where we try to both build the talent in other parts of the organization. So we're training people up in commercial, in supply chain, in uh, finance, in HR, on, those, uh, on the possibilities with AI, because then I want them to bring the most important use cases to us. And we're also demonstrating by... Um, by certain examples of, of what the power of the possible is. So we're trying to create both a little bit of a push and pull. I really appreciate that. And I, I really like the image of planting seeds across the organization and really driving the, uh, not the center of excellence, but the center of influence, um, not just within technology, but everywhere. Thank you. That's a, a, a great start. Uh, Sumed, I'd like to turn to you. As technology becomes an increasingly core part of your organization's products and services as it is for, for many on this call. You and I have talked in the past about the need to create a more fluid set of relationships between IT and various parts of the business. So building on some of the things that we've just been talking about, I'm curious what you see as the biggest catalyst for breaking down some of those silos and really driving the, the enterprise mindset around AI, but also technology more generally. Yeah, great, great question. Thanks, thanks, Chief, for that. Um, you know what? I so I've been at this role for about eight and a half years now at Putnam Investments, and before that also at a large investment management firm. So try, so we're not a technology firm; we're an investment firm, right? So we are looking after uh, the care and feeding of our shareholders ultimately through the various investment products that we have, and that's the business that the company is in. That's the business that the technologist in the company needs to be aware of, of, of what we actually do and how, how it matters. So we, 
love to talk about how to build these relationships. And that's absolutely critical. I think the more important thing is how to keep those relationships. Um, it's focus in technology. So when I started eight and a half years ago was to learn, learn, learn. What is the business view of us as technologists? While it's illuminating and humbling process to go through what you can do better, uh, what you're good at, certainly. Uh, but the real value is in finding out from them how to meet their expectations. And that's where we can start to create a difference. The second thing is to try and understand the value technology brings to their world. So for us, it's about the investment process. How can technology enable their investment process uh, so, that it, so that they find it's more productive for them? We can come up with new ideas around AI all day long, but if it's not helping their process, and if this, they have to take a detour to learn about our solution, then it's not really going to add value. It's going to create friction. So our, our mission in technology was to really understand what they're trying to say. And the things that they focused in on was improving the experience from technology to do what they need to do better. And so we came back to our teams to try and understand that deeper. What does the experience in technology means? Within one year of us deploying a strategy to transform our support models, we were able to reduce our problem tickets by 40%. And in the subsequent year, we reduced them by another 20%. What that did was created a set of resiliency in the organization that we didn't have before. And it gave us credibility to forward integrate into the types of things that would be higher value for them. And so are we building relationships? As Yes, but what, what are we really doing? We're delivering. We're delivering a radically different technology experience, one that they can rely on on a day in and day out to the point that you can start talking to them about the analytics and the data that's available for every one of us. Listen, when you sit down to watch a movie what is it that we look at? We look at reviews. We look at Rotten Tomato scores. We look at right all of the analytics that are available at our fingertips. When we are making multi-million dollar decisions for businesses, do we have access to the same amount of information? And if not, why not? And how can we help enable that? Excellent. Yeah, really getting back to that human-centered approach, but really appreciate we're not just improving the experience, we're walking the walk and we're showing value through delivery first and foremost at the end of the day. Uh, right. Vishal, any any thoughts on that, on how you think about the the value delivery discussion at Lexmark? Yeah, I think uh, I think Sumed nailed it. Uh, you know, it's all about the business and the business outcomes, right? Technology is an enabler to those business outcomes. Uh, so for example, you know, we make, you know, we make a lot of printers. Right, so when, when we looked at AI, for example, in that context, you say, what is the business outcome you're trying to have, right? And so when we partnered with our commercial team, with other R&D teams, um, we said, you know, there's two things that we'll have to do. One, with AI, what, what are our biggest customers interested in? They're really interested in basically, you know, complete reliability, right? The stuff should just not fail and, and continue to work seamlessly, right? Because that's kind of what they're after. But then if that happens, is that a good thing commercially for us, or depending on the business model, right? How do you make it into a win-win for the customer and the company? 
And so what we have to do just in that specific example is one, to create a set of AI capabilities that extended the life of our printers. For example, we went from traditionally printers last four years, ours are lasting now seven years. So we were able to make them last 50 to 60% longer because of all the predictive maintenance, because of AI leveraging, you know, what changes we should be making in our design and our component suppliers and our manufacturing processes. But then we also try to bring on change in the business model to say, instead of selling them as widget, what about selling them as a service? In which case now you are creating a win-win for the customer. They have less capital investment. They're really paying on a per use basis. And it's also creating a, a good win for us because now we're seeing some of the benefit of making them last much longer. And so I do think uh, whether you look at AI or any other technology, it really is all about the business outcomes. Otherwise, why bother? But to enable those business outcomes, you really need to think deeply about the outcomes that you're trying to enable and how can those outcomes create a win both for the customer you're trying to sell to and for the organization. Getting getting everybody on the same page about which outcomes you're chasing and, and making sure everyone's rowing in the same direction. Thank you. I want to chat a little bit with you guys about partner relationships. I'm reflecting a bit on the poll that was shown a little bit earlier today about how many are taking a hybrid approach to a lot of generative AI adoption. A few may be dabbling in building something of their own, but the vast majority really bringing in third-party services and maybe fine-tuning it a little bit, but at the early stages, even more, just kind of taking it off the shelf and seeing what it could do. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so much of... Uh, the success in this, this area relies on those partnerships with third parties right now. Um, Sumed, turning to you, curious about to hear more about the role that the strategic partners have played in Putnam's AI journey and how do your interactions with them affect that overall enterprise mindset that you're... Right. I, I can give you an example, Stephen. Um, a while back, um, I had a outreach from a 26-year-old CEO of a startup in Boston on South Street saying, I'm in your neighborhood. I, I really need to get to know you. Uh, we are building deep learning, deep neural neural networks. And these, guys, these networks are such that you don't have to train the engine with as much data as with traditional models. Now, it turns out a lot of that team ended up going to OpenAI and they were absolutely on the right path doing the things that they needed to do. Um, very young people, very excited about the AI technology, looking for a use case. And um, I invited them to come in and meet with me, uh, meet with some of my team. We sat down, we had a meeting and they were excited. And basically it was early days. Um, and we said, and you know, while there are endless possibilities with the technology, the question is, what is our need? Where can we deploy it? Where does it make sense to deploy it? How should we even go about finding the use case? So my challenge to them was this, look, I'm interested in the technology. We can go buy a license. That's not, that's not the big win. The big win is, can we have impact? So I pointed at two cubes right outside my office and said, I can give two of you guys these two cubes. Are you prepared to work with us? And your job would be to be evangelists in our company. Now, we're talking about a 20, I think it was 2016, 2017 timeframe, right? So it's before Gen AI. And again, this was the sort of technology that led into formation of 
open AI and things like things like that that we know today. But back then, what they were selling was a pre-trained engine. It understands language. You can throw documents at it, and it will tell you back information about it in summary format. And where we had language, where we gravitated towards were our legal contracts, which had explicit obligations for our teams. Uh, so these are found in the investment management business. Um, these are the things that will govern our relationship with an institutional client. And it will have things like, what's the funding date that the portfolio manager can expect the money to show up? What's the expected time period from which performance will get calculated and will get measured? What are the explicit compliance rules that we have to follow for this particular client? And what we tried to do with that information was automate the onboarding process of a new client. So here are the things that we've agreed to. Um, can we connect the downstream systems based on the obligations that are embedded in this legal document? So we needed an engine in the middle that could take apart that language, provide the coded information that the downstream messaging systems would need, um, and see how far we can take it. So it was an evolution for us. Um, we needed the skill set that had played with AI. So to Vishal's point of going to NC State and getting new people and getting data scientists embedded, we did something very similar, formed an alliance with universities. Uh, we even went to MIT to say, how far along are you in your data science program? And they had just started their master's program. So we, we took the executive team out there. We we had a debriefing. We knew they were going to come back from behind and dominate because every, everyone's so bright over there. But every university would have a data science program, right? That, I don't know that I expected that, but certainly we started to create excitement for Putnam uh, from the data scientist community. And then there's this gap, right? There's the business that we are in and there's a domain knowledge gap between what what the technology can do and what the solutions that we need are. And then even the even the talent that knows how to program, build models, if they don't understand the investment business, they're not going to be all that successful by themselves. So this partnership was what was needed. I was glad that this company partnered with us, uh, helped us get, became a catalyst for us. It started a dialogue in the organization about data science. We dedicated one whole day and called it data Data Science Day at Putnam. Um, and we did a lot of showcase of what is possible with data analytics. Uh, AI is one branch of it. And so certainly generative AI has come a long way since then. And now, you know, I think every everyone is playing with it in some capacity, right? Whether it's yeah. Google or OpenAI or whatever you're trying to embrace. And I'm sure there are a bunch of CIOs in, in, in the audience here Who've, who've had to force to respond, you know, what is my company strategy for enabling this, for protecting us, for not having everybody send all our data out to the world, right? So we have to manage the risk. We have to manage all the cybersecurity issues. We have to protect our data and we have to be enablers of this technology at the same time. So it's a really challenging job, I think. A hundred percent. But I, I, I'm seeing a lot of connections between both of your responses about how partners can allow you to sort of get ahead of some of those things. 
use those partners to generate excitement. And to what you were saying, Vishal, earlier about anything that doesn't have AI being legacy, creating a little bit of a burning platform to get people um, to start thinking about what the future might hold and how to enable it. Excellent. Uh, I'd love to chat a little bit also about a word that is you know, a little squishy, but very important, and that's trust. Um, and the role that it plays in driving some of these mindset shifts that we've talked about. Vishal, when we've talked in the past, you laid out a really interesting framework of driving trust, starting at the data layer, all mm -hmm. the way to the business outcome. Could you talk a little bit about the, the structure of that and the role that trust plays in uh, cementing that mindset across the organization? Yeah, absolutely, Stephen. I think, uh, you know, the technology is only as good as people's trust and the ability to not only adopt, but trust what the technology is saying. Otherwise, you really can't do much with it. And so, you know, when we were in our data journey, one of the things we saw was that unless you had a uniform the trust in the data itself, right? Different people, because we had a lot of analysts and they would bring almost different sources of Excel or data saying, no, my data is showing this and my data is showing this. And so we realized kind of several years back, we have to create first trust in the data, concept of data governance, data custodians, you know, a single source of truth, uh, all of that, right? That's kind of where the whole data lake house stuff comes in. But then that itself is not sufficient. You need to then also create trust in the machine learning models that are leveraging this data. And so we stood up things like an AI ethics board, right? Because we, we took a lot of the uh, the regulations in Europe, which has been really a bit more leading edge from an AI regulation perspective was putting out to say, how do you really, you know, how do you decide which use cases are even okay to go with and what kind of data should be there? What do you do when you don't have that kind of data? How do you supplement it? How do you really look at the efficacy of the model, the false positives, the negatives, and, and the standard deviation, all of that? And we also looked at the concept that once a model is trained, it's not sufficient. How do you even detect things like the model drift? Because the models have to be retrained with the new data that's coming in. And you have to know the confidence that you could have based on the prediction. The third piece we had to do in, in addition to the trust in the model and the trust in the data is to really constantly test it to ensure that it's not just AI or not AI. You could also produce outcomes from other technologies as well, right? And so you could have rules-based outcomes. You could have outcomes that are coming from maybe use of generative AI instead of AI, for example, right? And so we tried to take more of a holistic approach where we said, what are the other ways of solving the problem? What are they predicting? What is this predicting? And then essentially making a call because let's say you're building 100 models of printer. You may have great data on 55 of them, but what about the other 45 because they don't have statistically significant data? And so I see this as a, as a continuing journey, Stephen, uh, when you think about AI or Gen AI that really continue to challenge. You know, we want people to challenge us. So that way we can stand with confidence, both with our employees and with our customers to say that these models, you know, are built for production value. They make sense. They've got the ethics tested behind them. The mm -hmm. model is good. The data is good. And here are the caveats as well, because the nothing is perfect. So you want to be able to also identify uh, what caveats could exist as well uh, in terms of interpreted, you know, interpretation of that. So that's kind of been our journey on the trust side of things. 
Excellent. Thank you for sharing. And unfortunately, we are at time. Thank you both for a, an amazing conversation. Sumed and Vishal uh, could have kept going for much longer, and I hope we can continue the conversation offline. But thank you so much for sharing some really practical insights into how you're driving this mindset shift to your organizations. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you very much.